River Church, man, it is great to see your faces. I've never been happier to be home in all my life, and uh, I'm glad to be home. Uh, let me say this to you before we get started. There are five million things I want to say to you today, and obviously I do not have time for all of them, so I'm contemplating on whether or not next week just needs to be a catch-all sermon from the Word on the global work. Uh, the work of God in our fellowship, because I, dude, I can preach three texts in one Sunday. I can catch us up. That's not a problem. But there's so many things I want to say. But I'm going to narrow it down to we're going to we're going to look at the text Acts five seventeen to forty two, and I'm going to preface that by saying this to you: It's summertime, and I get it. All right, everybody travels and everybody does their thing. But let me say this to you as one experienced. Okay. I don't often get to sit under the preaching of God's Word because I am the one primarily tasked with preaching the Word. When I do, however, I'm reminded of how vital it is. It is the way God has made it. It just is, okay? It just is. That in the proclamation of the word, God speaks to his people. And so as I get to sit under the word, it is absolutely astounding how clear and vocal the spirit of God is to speak and to lead. And I'm addicted and podcasts are not enough. Internet YouTube preaching is not enough because you're not in the physical presence of another image bearer filled with the spirit. Technology cannot do what presence accomplishes. That's an image of God issue. It's a Trinitarian issue. And that's a sermon in and of itself. So I say that to you to say this. Whatever your summer plans, build them around meeting with the people of God. You cannot overstate how vital it is for your soul. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. You see, it's easy to take for granted what is easily accessible to you. And when you don't have it, you realize how necessary it is. I say that to you from our people across the pond who don't have it. And they would kill for it. Yet we can plan around it. And it's a waste. It's a travel day. It's an off day. I promise you, there is nothing more vital than sitting under the preaching of God's Word for your soul. And I say that, I say that because I need it. And listen, it is my joy to take that bullet. But when I get it, I receive it because the Lord is loud and good. And so don't take this for granted. You hear that? And I hope you hear it with ears prepared to hear. That's not a rebuke, that's an exhortation to don't miss the good grace of God. Thinking that somehow, somehow... Something else is really better. It's not. It's not. As a matter of fact, the physical body can do and will do what the soul enables it to do. This is proven fact. This is why men can walk through Hell Week and Bud School in Coronado, California and keep going. Why? Because it's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. God made the body to work hard. And when the soul's healthy... And God is speaking and you're receiving. And He fills you with His Spirit. You can do superhuman, supernatural things. So it's not a tired issue. It's a soul issue. So I exhort you, Three Rivers Church, don't throw away Sunday mornings. Okay? You hear that with grace? I hope you hear that with grace. It's said with grace and it's said from a heart who doesn't get it. This, this doesn't count right here. I'm not getting what you're receiving right now. I'm giving because it's my gift. It's God's gift to me to give to you. And I'm telling you as one who gets to experience it, very rarely, don't miss this time. Okay? It's not because I'm, I have anything. It's because God gifts broken vessels to be a blessing to others. And that's what spiritual gifts are. He gifts individuals to be a blessing to the body. You're gifted with a gift that I receive. And guess what? When you're not here, you rob me. Of what God gave you for me. And I need it bad. I'm a needy vessel. I'm a broken vessel. This is a jar of clay with holes all in it. And it's constantly emptied. And I need you.
Okay? So I hope you hear that, and I hope you hear that well. Acts 5, 17-42. Pray with me. Father, for the glory of Jesus, advancement of your kingdom, the building of the body of Christ, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill your people and that you would do right now in this moment what C.S. Lewis pictured for us in the silver chair in Aslan's country where the air was clear and your voice was loud and we understood. Would you part the thickness in the air down here and uh, let us dwell in your country for a little bit so we can hear Give us ears to hear so that we can go back down into the thick fog and operate well. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Acts 5, 17 to 42. Opposition, rescue, suffering, joy, and exalting Jesus. Very simply, just another day in the work of the kingdom. That's, that's the banner over... Our text today. As we move through Acts, it's it's vital. And to just say this, by the way, thank thank you for Jonathan and Jim being faithful to the word. What glorious, faithful stewards of God's word. Thank you, gentlemen, for being faithful. Um, what a joy. I listened. Uh, I listened on the podcast. So I'm not dissing the podcast. If you haven't listened, you need to go back and listen. And so uh, it's just not the same as being here. Okay? But it was good, and I'm thankful for those faithful men who preach the word to you. As we move through Acts, it's important for us to revisit in Acts the foundational passage that really sets the tone for the entire narrative of the book of Acts. So that as we read it, as we study it, we read it through the right lens. We read it through the right set of glasses and can make sense of the text. Acts 1.8 is that lens. It's what sets the pace of the narrative. It's the lens through which we are to read the book of Acts. And here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. We read the disciples are empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And they are sent as Jesus witnesses. From the home base of Jerusalem to the nations. What follows in the book of Acts is the account of Jesus' disciples being empowered to bear witness to the gospel of the kingdom. And so what we have in Acts is a testimony, a witness to what God did through His disciples. And by the way, not just the apostles. The apostles stayed at Jerusalem, and as the church was scattered, the disciples went about preaching the gospel. So that they made disciples and planted churches in every domain of society. And as the apostles began to branch out, they found pockets of believers... And they would write things to Titus. It's a book in your New Testament. And they will say things like, This is why I appointed you to go and appoint elders in all these churches. It wasn't pastors who planted churches. It was individual members. And as it grew, the pastors came from within. This is just the way it happened. So, the apostles are not key here. The people are key. Because it's the Holy Spirit empowering disciples to make other disciples and plant churches and do amazing kingdom work. So the disciples are empowered and they go about preaching the gospel. And what follows all through the book of Acts is the account of followers of Jesus being empowered to bear witness to the kingdom. The Psalms call those testimonies. Testimonies. I grew up in a tradition where we had every now and then testimony Sundays. And if you're familiar with kind of backwoods church, um, country church type stuff. Anybody raised in that tradition a little bit? Every now and then testimony service broke out. Sometimes it would be Sunday night because there's nothing else to do. Maybe pastor wasn't wanting to preach or he didn't study, but it was testimony night. 
And somebody would stand up and they would usually start off with this phrase, I just want to say I love the Lord. Anybody, anybody testify? You've heard that, right? And people would tell stories of God's grace. And it's easy to look back on some of that and kind of poke at it a little bit. But the reality is, it's good to tell stories of God's grace and stories of God's hand moving in our lives because it encourages the weak. It empowers the strong. To see God is at work in you. God is at work in you. God's at work in me. He loves His church. And so the Bible is full of the testimonies. Lord, the book of Acts is a testimony to what God is doing in the life of His church. Psalm 119, 24 says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Meaning, when we read the manual... And we go through the text and we read what God is doing. They are a delight to read. God, you you worked in, in Joseph's life like that? So that what they meant for evil, you meant it for good? Wow, what a great counselor. So maybe I should act like that. Ding, ding, ding. Mission accomplished, right? Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119.59 says, When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. So that as I look at my life and I think about how I'm living, how I'm walking, I want to turn my feet in the way of your testimonies. I want to, I want to know your testimonies. Then I want to go act them out. Does that make sense? So when there are counselors, we know what they did. And then wise people begin to put our feet in their testimonies and we do what they did. God has not left us without a way to walk. We're not plowing new ground. We're simply to walk in the footsteps of those who went before us. Psalm 119.99 I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For the purpose clause, for your testimonies are my meditation. You want to have more wisdom than many counselors? Meditate on the testimonies of the Lord. And then you will know practically how you are to walk tomorrow. The testimonies of the Lord are the accounts of how God has acted in history on behalf of His people for their good, for their joy. And for His glory. What we have in Acts are testimonies. They're testimonies of God's work by the Spirit in the lives of His people. They're our delight and they're our counselors. They teach us. They teach us how to walk in unity. They teach us what happens when death enters the fellowship. These testimonies are where we should turn to. They're where we should turn our feet to. These testimonies will give us more understanding as we think on them than those who do not think on them and apply them. So, with that in mind, we want to look at Acts 5, 17 to 42. We're going to ask the question, what can we take away from the testimony of the text this morning in Acts 5, 17 to 42? What can we take away from the testimony, the counselor, of Acts 5, 17-42. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down into a few observations as we've been doing. What does it say? What does it mean? What do we do with it? Right? That's going to be our framework. So, observation number one. What do we see here and what, what does it mean? Verse 17 through the first part of verse 21. Listen to the word of the Lord. But the high priest rose up. Alright? So, We've just seen death in the body, life in the body. And now the narrative continues with this little connecting word, but. Contrasting it from the signs and wonders previously done. But the high priest rose up and all who are with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. 
So our observation, number one, what do we see? What does it mean? As we work to advance the kingdom, there will be opposition, there will be rescue, and we are going to need to persevere. As we do the work of the kingdom, as we engage in witnessing to the rule of Jesus Christ, we are going to face opposition, but we are also going to be gloriously rescued. And that rescue is not so that we can run back to safety, it is so we can run back into the lion's den and continue to preach. Look what happens. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. Why are they jealous? Because the kingdom's advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing over the kingdom of darkness. It is putting the darkness to flight. Light is flourishing. People are being healed. The kingdom is coming. His will is being done on this earth as it's done in heaven. The disciples are empowered. And that ruling party of darkness is jealous. Listen, here's a principle for us. The kingdom of darkness is not happy when the kingdom of light begins to shed light on dark things. It's going to automatically bring about conflict. That's what the kingdom does. The kingdom exposes darkness. And when darkness is exposed, and we all recognize this personally, when our individual darknesses are exposed, we want to run and hide. Or we want to lash out at the light that exposed them. And so as the kingdom advances, they're filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and put them in prison. But during the night, this little conjunction, but is a great word because it sets apart contrast. They're jealous and put them in prison, but the contrast to that jealousy and imprisonment is what? During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Isn't that fun? They're jealous. They fight back. What does God do? Rescues them. Gives them release. Gives them new opportunity. Fresh opportunity. And look what happens. And he said to them, and notice, he didn't release them just so that they could now go and do their own thing. He released them with clear instructions. Listen to the instructions. And said, go and stand in the temple. Whoa, wait, time out. Didn't we just get arrested in the temple? Maybe I'll go home. Maybe I just need to sit back and unwind and catch up on what I've got recorded on the DVR. And There's a game on. It's football season. And so, you know, right? Wrong. He said, I want you to go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What's at stake here? Life and death. And so what you need to go is tell those people who are dead about this life. I just set you free, not so you can go home and be safe, but I've set you free now so that you can go back and tell the truth. And when they heard this, verse 21, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They obeyed. They heard. Remember what we say about discipleship? The gospel of the kingdom makes disciples in domains of society. Right? And from that, Jesus builds his church. What do we say discipleship is? It's hearing and obeying. It's hearing and doing. It's hearing and acting. They heard the Lord's word and what did they do? They obeyed him. They went back to where they were arrested and they started teaching people all over again. That's awesome. You're going to be opposed from the outside by agents of the domain of darkness. Sometimes, unfortunately, we may be opposed from within. It's never if, it's when and how. And then how we handle that opposition. But the good news is we're also going to experience the supernatural work of God to rescue us. We're going to experience the work of God to deliver us. If we will hear His Word and obey His Word in every circumstance and situation, and we'll see, see that in here in just a moment, He will bring rescue. 
that rescue may not look like my comfort, but it will look like me being more like Jesus. God working for our good does not mean comfort. It means making me more like Jesus. But when rescued, and often God rescues us daily, we need to stay on task. So what do we do with this? How do we take this testimony and put some feet to it, some hands and feet to it? Well, here we go. Number one, be aware of the schemes of the evil one. Be aware of the schemes of the evil one. The evil one will oppose you. We have this weird, 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 weird thing in which we as Christians have a tendency to think that opposition is weird and strange and it shouldn't happen. Somehow we, we, we've, we've taken the lie of the system that's contrary to the gospel and incorporated it into a, a structure of living in the faith somehow. That this is supposed to be full of nothing but good and ease and advancement and, and prettiness and, and supply and abundance and health. And the reality is in the kingdom it is war. The evil one is a schemer. Paul said to the Corinthians in his second correspondence to them that we have record of. We're not unaware of his schemes. I wish that were true of the church in the West. We are unaware of His schemes. And often we walk around as though there is no roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Unguarded by the Word. Unguarded by the covering of the fellowship of the saints like it's throwaway. And when the enemy comes, we act as though something strange is happening to us. And there's a little letter Peter wrote about that. When this comes, don't act like something strange is happening. This is normal. Listen, if we're not being opposed, chances are we're not taking enemy ground. If we're not taking enemy ground, we're not doing Acts 1-8. If we're not doing Acts 1-8, we need to ask ourselves if we're following Jesus. He who hears these words of mine and does not do them is a foolish man who built his house on the sand. That didn't work out so well, did it? Right? So be aware of the schemes of the evil one. He's going to come after work. If you don't want the evil one to come after you, go hide. Listen to the podcast alone. Don't show up. Don't do any work. Go to five Bible studies. Fatten yourself up on spiritual stuff and do nothing with it. Life will go well for you. You may even get rich. Enjoy. But if you want to obey Jesus and disciple people, Make disciples and make disciples and make disciples and engage. You can expect the evil one to scheme on you. He's going to come hard in the paint and he's going to dunk on you. And it's going to be ugly. But he will also rescue you. The Lord will make us more like Jesus. Number two, practice loving each other well. There's nothing people who are in the fight need more than to be loved. And if you happen to be in a good, a place where right now the war is not too hard, then serve those who are on the front lines being beat up. Love them well. Love them well. Because your time's coming. And you're going to need someone to pour into you and minister to you. That's why you need radical life groups. That's why you need communities. That's why you need to be with one another. So that you can tell each other what's going on and share what's going on. So somebody can come around you, pray for you. Got a text from a friend this morning. Doesn't even come to this church. They're a member of another fellowship. Good fellowship. Good folks. Pray for my wife. Had a biopsy. We find out Tuesday. Because he's a friend. He's engaged in another church. They're they're active members. That's a good thing. But he knows he can reach out because they're in the war and he needs help. Right? How much more so, he's going to do that in the Sunday school class today, and they will come around them and take care of them. How much more people in the fellowship that we're under covenant with, right? Need that. Practice loving each other well. Number three, expect God to work for our good. And again, remember that our good is becoming more like Jesus, not our comfort. Fourth, keep preaching the truths of the Bible. All right, observation number two. What do we see? What does it mean? This is in verse 21, the second part of verse 21 through verse 26. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, 
and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now see, they are unaware that they've been rescued. So they just sent them, put them in prison, went to bed, we'll deal with this tomorrow morning. So they send for them to be brought from the prison. Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. (laughs) No, duh. Can you imagine? The doors are locked. Guards were there all night. They're gone. Hmm. Greatly perplexed. I can imagine... The thrashing about and perplexing in my mind. And I'm not going to bore you with the details of how I imagine that happening. But it's kind of funny. But at the same time, they're not happy. Wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them. Look! It's got an exclamation point. Somebody knows what's going on. They've been outside the meeting. They see these guys that were in prison. And now they're out there preaching. And they run in. Hey! They're out here! Preaching! Look! The men that you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them. But not by force. Why? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. What do we see? What does this mean? Well, opposition to the kingdom will be blind to the supernatural work of the kingdom. You would think... That after this miraculous escape from prison, somebody bow down and worship Jesus. I I mean, I would like to think that if I were on the other team, and these cats just somehow, and you practically, you got to think about this for a moment. You got to think about this for a moment. Somehow, the angel got them out unnoticed. Sometimes we just read through the Bible, right? We just read it and we move on because maybe we're familiar with it. And we just know the story and we move on and we don't stop to think about the implications of what we just read. Somehow, immaterially open the door or they pass through. He got them out unnoticed. You think that, that, that'd make a great movie. And you would think that those who experience this would go, hey, this is powerful stuff. Who is this Jesus? No. Go get them and bring them in so we can question them. Listen. Opposition to the kingdom is often going to be blind to the kingdom. There's a great story in the book, The Magician's Nephew. You're like, yeah, here he goes with the Chronicles of Narnia again. The Magician's Nephew, Uncle Andrew, the magician, who is using the children... To test his rings. To go into another world. Finally finds himself in this world at the dawn of the creation of Narnia. And Aslan is creating and he's singing. And as he sings, creation happens. Children are experiencing this. The witch has now been entered into created order. And Uncle Andrew is there. And the children can hear Aslan singing. And as the creatures come to life, and this creation scene is happening, some of them are talking creatures. But Uncle Andrew doesn't hear talking or singing. He hears a loud, angry roar and the sound of animals. And there's a difference. The children hear singing, and they hear animals talking. Uncle Andrew hears a loud roar, And animals making animal noises. What's the difference? The children have been called into that world by Aslan. And they believe. Uncle Andrew is a skeptic and he doesn't believe. The difference? Faith in Christ. When you come to faith in Jesus, He calls you into relationship with Himself. And He takes out a heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh. And He makes you His son or daughter. He gives you ears with which to hear and eyes with which to see. And they are discerning beyond the physical. 
But those who are in the kingdom of darkness have eyes that see but cannot see, and ears that hear but cannot hear, and no discernment. So that they look upon what we know to be the work of God and see only something to be stepped upon. Therefore, unbelief renders enemies of the gospel blind. And therefore, we should expect the kingdom of darkness to be blind to the supernatural work of the kingdom. But that doesn't mean you are to be blind to it. Listen, if you are in faith, if you are in Christ, and your trust is in Jesus, you've been given eyes to see. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. We have a discernment given. We have the mind of Christ. And it takes discipline to look at your world through the lens of the Scriptures and interpret events through the lens of the Scriptures. And when you begin to do so, you see the supernatural hand of God all over your day. Not just key moments in life. Because you've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. But understand that opposition to the kingdom won't see that. Thus, the opposition. What are these guys doing? We put them in prison. They're out. You'd think, man, maybe we need to believe. No. Bring those cats in here. Let's take this up a notch. So what are we to do with this? Well, we're to expect blindness on the part of those who oppose us from without. 2 Corinthians 4, 1-6 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. So they're blind. So expect blindness on the part of the kingdom of darkness. Observation number 3. What do we see? What does it mean? Verse 27-32. to 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Observation 3, what do we see? What does it mean? We must be clear and bold in our response to the opposition we encounter. We must be clear and we must be bold in response to the opposition we encounter. Notice what happens. Bring them in. We told you not to do this. They didn't cower before them. They're not rude. They're not angry. They simply say, we must obey God rather than men. There is one higher than you. Jesus did this. They're just imitating the Lord. Remember Pilate? Don't you know I have the power to set you free? Jesus' response, you have no power that hadn't been given to you. Subtle way of saying, I just... I'm the one who gave you the power to sit here in authority over me. And you will put me to death and I will take it up again. Peter says we must obey God rather than men. Clear, bold, and their response to this opposition. So what are we to do with this? Well, here we are. I'm just going to just let Paul tell us what to do. If you don't mind kind of playing here for just a moment, um, go over to go over to Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, and uh, let let Paul tell us what to do. How, how do we? How should we be clear and bold? This is let the text tell us exactly what to do. I'm not going to make any. I'm not going to be clever, creative. I'm not going to create anything. I'm just going to let the text tell us what to do. You ready? Ready this? You think the manual tells us what to do? Absolutely, it tells us what to do. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, that's some pretty hefty charge. That's some oomph behind the charge. 
That's some authority behind this charge. What's the charge? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Always be ready. No days off. Be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready. Even if you're on the Sabbath, be ready. Be ready. Be ready. In season, out of season, reprove. That word means make them ashamed of their poor behavior. I know we don't like to say that because that doesn't sound like little hippie Jesus, right? Right? That's, oh, no, no, no. That word means ashamed. And it's a positive connotation. What do we say to our children when they know better? You should be ashamed. Why? Because you knew better. That's that's the connotation here. Is when someone has broken what's right, they should feel a godly shame. There's ungodly shame and there's godly shame. Godly shame is that I know, I know, I know better. And the powerful gospel rescues us from that shame. But there's a there's a positive nature here, right? Reprove. Rebuke means to charge them. Exhort. That word exhort is the word used by Jesus to describe Holy Spirit. Parakletos. It means to tangibly walk along beside them. They feel godly shame. You give them a charge on what to do. Now you help them do it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. With complete patience and teaching. Four, why? The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. My Lord, Western Christianity is full of that trash. Full of it. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wow. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What do we do with that? That. Every bit of it. And that's not the pastor's job, it's yours and mine. It's all of our jobs. Preaching is not the sole function of pastoral ministry. It is the function of all priests of God, of which we all are. You're a preacher. You're like, I'm leaving now. Didn't want to hear that. You are. If you have the Word and the Spirit, you're a preacher of the Gospel. And so how do we respond? We respond clearly and boldly. And we respond by preaching the Word, which is breathed out by God. It is true. It is right. It is accurate. And oh, by the way, Paul was particularly referencing the Old Testament. That is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's nothing lacking in the manual to train us for a clear and bold response. Observation number four, what do we see? What does it mean? Verse 33 to 49. Find my way back to Acts. Verse 33 to 49. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Expect that. Good news is we live in a country where that's illegal. So, you know what? Chances are that you probably not... They may be enraged at you. You have a, some laws in place to keep you from being killed. That won't necessarily constrain some people who really want to get you. By the way, just say this right here. Safety is such an illusion. It is such an illusion. And I got... Practical examples in my own life. Safety is just an illusion. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, and held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put them outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days... Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined them. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in those days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Keep in mind... This is not a believer speaking. This is not a Christian speaking. Almost sounds like it, doesn't it? Not a Christian speaking. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. 
You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. What do we see in this passage? Well, here's what we see. We can expect God to provide us with what we need to advance the cause of the kingdom. What did they need in this moment? They needed an advocate. They were in a pickle. They were in a difficult situation. We have disobeyed the law of man in favor of obeying God. And now we've been called in for it. They desperately needed an advocate. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord provided them with one. And you know what? There's something strangely familiar here about this passage. And it's found in Luke 10, 6. I'm not going to take time to go there because it's, it's a passage in and of itself. When the Lord sent out the disciples to go and proclaim the kingdom, you know what he told them? He said, look for people of peace. Now, if our, if our theology is firmly intact, we recognize that those people of peace have been placed there by God. They're signposts. They're divine gifts of God, although not in the kingdom, to allow a foothold of the kingdom to take root. Jesus told them, look for that person and stay with them. And from there go, eat what is set before you, proclaim the kingdom. Don't go from house to house. Hang out there and preach the kingdom. You know what Jesus did here in this passage? He gave them what He promised He would give them. He gave them a person of peace, a non-believer, who was an advocate for them and got them turned loose. How fun is that? Listen, you can look for that every day. Look for people of peace. Look for those people God puts in your path that allows a foothold of the gospel to take root. Listen, let me tell you what. You won't have that if you're not engaging. But if you make it your aim to obey Jesus and take enemy territory, the king of the universe will keep his word to you and he will provide you people of peace. One of the great things that's fun about some of the work that we're getting to do now is the people of peace God has placed all over the government. I fully expect him maybe to save some of them. He may not. It's not up to me. My job is to preach the gospel and invite them into the kingdom. His job to bring them. Look for people of peace. The Lord provided just what he said. What do we do with this? Dear Christian, listen, live in rest, not in anxiety. Listen, live in rest, not in anxiety. Trust the Lord to do what he said he would do. Don't forget to Sabbath well. You don't have to make the way. Jesus will make the way. So don't forget to rest. Make sure you say no to the intrusion of the domain of darkness and its encroachment on our lives. The beggar of time is never satisfied. We have to learn to give our time to things most eternally good. I could see us in this instance trying to find a person of peace rather than receive them. And there's a difference between those two. Jesus provides them. We don't have to go mine them out. My job is to have eyes to see and ears that hear. And Holy Spirit provides that. My job is to go to the task, do the work. He will bring those people around at the right time. So learn to say no to the unnecessary and the most eternally good. Mary and Martha. It wasn't needed to provide serving. What was better is to sit at the feet of the master and listen. Even if, even if the backside road and the dishes were dirty and the house stunk and there was stuff all over the place and dirty whatever, it was better to sit at the feet of Jesus. Expect the Lord to provide just like He promised. Matthew six thirty three. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And then what? What did He say? I'll provide you with all this stuff that Gentiles seek first. Gentiles go after the work first. You come after me first. If you come after me, I'll throw in all that other stuff that the Gentiles are looking for and won't get. Observation number five, what do we see? What does it mean? Verse 40 and 41, which I kind of messed up. I realized I had a typo in my notes. Um, 
So verse 40 to 41, what do we see? What does it mean? But when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. When doing the work of the kingdom, suffering and joy often accompany each other. We have the cancer of wanting joy without suffering. And the scriptures just don't teach that. The scriptures teach us that our joy comes in spite and even in the midst of suffering. We sang a song this week and these words are charged with power. Bear the cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. That's the theme of the Bible, y'all. Is in the midst of suffering, there is great joy. Count it joy when you suffer various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You'll never grow in the faith if nothing assaults it. You never get stronger unless you put weight on the bar. When doing work of the kingdom, suffering, suffering and joy will often accompany each other. So what do we do with this? Embrace the fact that difficulty is just part of following Jesus. But it's not drudgery. Listen, do not walk out of here and hear that following Jesus is drudgery. It's war, but it is the most joyous warfare on the face of the planet. There is nothing like walking with Jesus and watching Him be God. It's the coolest thing I've ever experienced. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. Are there dark days? Yeah, you bet. But there's nothing like being in the dark moment and Jesus just sustains. He just sustains. That's when you know this junk's real. This ain't no fairy tale. (laughs) But you won't know that. You won't know that unless you jump in deep and go hard after Jesus. Final observation, verse 42, what do we see? What does it mean? And every day, every day in the temple, public, and from house to house, in private, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. We continue to exalt, we continue to exalt Jesus in our teaching, publicly and privately. Listen, dear Christian, your mission is to exalt Jesus. Your mission is to lift Him high. Lift up Christ and everything He is. His death, burial, and resurrection. His personhood. All that He is. What He came to do. What He accomplished. What He is doing. Lift high Jesus. Do it publicly. Do it privately. Make disciples. Disciple making is public and it is private. What are we to do with this? Talk often about Jesus. Talk often through His Word and from His Word. And make application to anyone who will have ears to hear. These testimonies of the Lord are great counselors, are they not? They tell us what to do. We haven't been left without instruction. So Three Rivers Church, take these six observations and put them into practice this week. Matter of fact, you can start today. And one of the ways we can start is right now. And that is worship. Psalm 147 one says, Praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. We spend time with people who don't get the privilege of sitting in a place where you're sitting and can sing loudly. They don't get to do it. And it's easy to walk in this place and think somehow that there is supposed to be something for me. And if it's not for me, then I'll stand and I won't engage. Or maybe I'm just too cool. I don't know what it is. I have no clue what sometimes our problem is. But I'll tell you something that I I tried to avoid this guy this week because it it was awful for me. But there was a staffer this week whose job was media, and they were mute. 
can't speak. But he would stand there and grunt to Jesus as best he could. And I watch some people stand in this place and won't move their mouth to worship Jesus. And I say, be ashamed. Be ashamed. He's been called to make much of the creator of the universe. And how dare we stand in his presence and be silent. We were made to make much of Jesus. We're made to make much of Jesus. And we give opportunity daily by the Lord to make much of Him in song. And how much more when we gather under the same roof, under covenant together, music playing. There's 150 songs written by the Lord through the instrument of His prophets that give us instruction on singing and how to sing because God's a singing God. God is a God of song. God wrote music. He gave the gift to man to write music. It's an image of God issue. So God loves music. God loves singing. And so therefore, unique in history is the church that writes and produces music because God is glorified in it. And therefore, this is why the church sings. And it is a failure on our part when we don't come and open our mouths to the King of the universe and praise Him in song. And so listen, listen, if you're not mute, you have no excuse. If you can't sing good, neither can I. That's why I scream sing. Right? This is why they turn the volume up loud so nobody else can hear you but Jesus. So therefore, Three Rivers Church, you know what? You know what time it is? It's time to sing. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do, we're going to sing. Why? Because He's worthy. He's worthy. And He's given us His instruction on what to do. We know what to do. We're not left clueless. And so for that alone, we'll praise Him. But because He's the King of the universe, Savior of the world, we will praise Him too. So I'm going to pray. These guys are going to come and you're going to scream sing. Alright? And you're going to walk out of here horse today because He's worthy. Father, in the name of Jesus, for Your glory and our joy, we pray for help. Help us to make much of You. Help us to make much of You. I thank You this morning that You don't require me to be smooth. You require me to be obedient. I thank you that you will hear my scream singing as much as you will hear someone who can sing on key or whatever it's called. So Lord, I pray today that as these guys play the music to your praise, because I know that's what they do. When they play, they play to your glory. When they sing, they sing to your glory. Help us to follow that today. Help that to happen. Lord, I pray that you would take your word and I pray that you would cut through the, the fog of our souls so that we can hear you speak to us. And I trust this morning, Lord Jesus, not only has your word been clear, but I pray that, that you speak individually to every heart that needs to hear from you today. Wherever they are, whatever's going on, I pray you'd speak directly to them where they are and what they need. Lord, help us not to complicate your kingdom. Help us not to complicate your kingdom. Help us to hear and obey. And then would you save, mobilize, establish. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And then Lord Jesus, would you give us everything we need? We pray this in your name.